Okay, guys, it's been a long time, but turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs. And a long time ago in a Sunday school class far, far away, uh, we were in a, uh, a Proverbs class, and uh, I, I mean it, I, felt like, I feel like January just got deleted from our life. Um, and uh, so here we are back here. And we're talking, uh, if, if you'll recall, um, I had to look it up myself, what we were talking about, but uh, work and laziness, and uh, we've, we've come to that, that part of Proverbs now where we have to study it topically because it's, it's very random. There's, there's, there's some context, but not like the first nine chapters. And uh, so you remember this? This is really interesting, and um, if, if you're a young person, uh, it, it may be a, a bit of a stretch even mm-hmm. to think back to your grandparents' or great-grandparents' generation but, but figure out where that is and, and, and think about the description here. There was a time, it was, it was sort of the golden age of uh, the church, or one of the golden ages of the church, at least in um, both uh, uh, England and Scotland, and also as it spilled over into uh, the Great Awakening on American soil. Uh, the, the sort of uh, Puritan era, craftsman era, um, and if you're doing the math, you're thinking about when our nation was actually founded and and all of that, but but basically there, there was a work ethic that flowed directly out of faith. And, and, and you guys know this, that, that everything in our life is supposed to connect back to faith. One of the things we have to fight all the time is the compartmentalization of our faith, right? Where when we're at church and when we're at home and when we're in family, we kind of have our, our little faith thing going on. But then we go to Walmart, then we go to the workplace, we go to school, we go out into society. And and you understand, the the, the rules of society right now say, well, you can have your faith, that's fine. You can go to church, that's fine. You You can have your little private Christianity, no problem. But don't you bring that into the ballot box, right? Don't you bring that into the public square. You know, you can't tell somebody that you ought not to behave that way because of morality, because of your faith. That's, that's culturally illegal. And you will get accused of intolerance, discrimination, hatred, right? You guys, you guys know the script. So, so the, 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 the culture's way of, of imposition on the church and Christians means it's very easy for us to split our life into the private area where we can do faith and do Christianity, everything's good, and then the public area where we're afraid to say anything, we're afraid to do anything, we don't want to open our mouths, we don't want to be an influence, at least too much. And, um, and you guys know uh, Francis Schaeffer back in the 20th century, last, last century, described that what he called the public, private, or, or uh, uh, he, he defined it as like a, a, a down story and an upper story on a house. But that, that's the tendency. And there was a time back in the Puritan, the 1600s, early 1700s, when people lived their faith in the workplace. And they did their work for the glory of God largely. Uh, and even in the, in the Great Awakening of the Americas, you, you saw a resurgence of that sort of work ethic. But watch how this changes. In this late mid-1700s into the mid-1800s, there's a shift in work ethic. And this is all documented by Larry Burkett in his book that you see referenced there. It's not do all for the glory of God. It's God that helps those who help themselves. Now, there are a lot of Christians that think that's actually a Bible verse, you know. And I checked. It's not in there. Um, it sounds right, but, but you see there's, there's, a subtle, there's a subtle change. 
in the previous view, we do our work for the glory of God. God is the center point. God's the focus. He's the end. God helps those that help themselves mean God is still important, but now I'm becoming the center of, of work. It's I'm going to go do this and God's going to help me to do it. So there's a little bit of a shift. Entrepreneur stage, according to Burkett, uh, the pursuit of wealth provides incentives for progress. God wants progress, right? God would want us to, you know, build schools and, and come up with medications and, and uh, how do we assist the poor and how do we uh, help people with housing and clean water and those are all good pursuits, right? And But now it's we're going to create progress and wealth as a means to that or maybe as a result of that um, becomes more of the goal. Uh, some of you re- remember this, and uh, many of you that are retired now, you saw this probably in the middle of your career, um, and then probably saw the transition into self-fulfillment. Remember this? Loyalty to the, to the company is the source of security. You remember that? Where there was actually a decent pension and incentives to stay with the company, and you know, you're putting in your time was rewarded? And, uh, man, good night. Can you find any companies that do that anymore today? Um, my, my dad actually caught kind of the tail end of that. Um, he, uh, he worked for Nike, and um, uh, they were combining um, uh, two different divisions that combined into one. I, I was actually working for Nike with him at the time. And, uh, you know, he was probably late 40s, early 50s at the time. And um, they're combining companies, and even though he had the longer uh, time with the company, the younger guy kept the job, and my dad got laid off. So, And that reflected something of the mentality of the day in the late 90s. Self-fulfillment, how will my work make me happy? And then kind of where we are today, whatever works for me is the best work ethic, only legitimate boundaries are self-imposed. And that's why, you know, you go to a lot of establishments and there's no dress code anymore. There's no grooming standards. Uh, getting people to come even on time uh, is, is challenging. So again, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. But, but it's interesting, and, and this is why, especially for, for you younger people, this is why what God is saying to us in Proverbs is so important. Because as you enter, you you high school students, you college students, as you're going into the workforce, you're fighting this egocentricism that is the cultural work ethic of your day. And you're going to stand out like a sore thumb when, when you, by God's grace and for God's glory, bring your faith into the workplace. Now that may bring a level of persecution and negativity. But I can also think that when you do your work heartily as for the Lord and you pursue excellence and your diligence and you show up on time and you follow directions and you're respectful to your authorities, a lot of people are going to go, what planet is this guy from? And it might help your career. I think it would help your career. So, so think about that. That's kind of where we've been. And uh, in Proverbs, this is what we've talked about over the last uh, the three times that we met for Proverbs. This is the kind of the main points and then we'll jump into today. So don't be a sluggard, man. I just, just don't do that. Um, the sluggard is one of the main characters in Proverbs. One of the ways that, that God crafted Proverbs through Solomon and the other writers is he introduces us to certain characters, right? There's the wise man and the fool, and those are the two main characters throughout the book. And then we meet some other characters, right? We meet the sluggard. We meet the immoral woman. 
we meet the naive person, right? There's all these different characters. And, and that's the way Solomon is teaching us is he gives us sort of the, you know, these people you're going to meet in life, right? Or these different types of persons, different stages of life, different struggles. And um, the sluggard is one of them. And the sluggard is, is the proverbial lazy person. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And I won't ask how many of us were struggling with sluggardly type thinking this morning, trying to get out of bed a little earlier. Um, the second thing we've seen is the value of diligence, hard work, and the pursuit of excellence. Uh, those would be three principles that would describe a biblical, a God-honoring work ethic. Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And, and, and Solomon is saying, when you pursue excellence... When you take something that God has gifted you to do that you're good at and you develop it into a vocation or you apply it in school or in sports or in um, you know, the military or, or some other uh, work endeavor, people notice. And Solomon is saying that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That, that, that's the right way to advance in life and in vocation is to pursue excellence in your work and even and the implication here is that even maybe unbelieving kings will will take note the third point and we're reviewing the last uh, three classes that we've had together wealth gained by hard work is righteous and godly wealth gained by uh, hard work is righteous and godly in the bible the the pursuit of money and wealth is not wicked and sinful in and of itself uh, the often wrongly quoted bible verse that money is the root of all evil is wrong right that's not what the bible says what does it say the love of money right like the love of anything above god and neighbor is evil right it's not money is unique and money may be a little more enticing sometimes but but wealth gained by hard work according to proverbs according to scripture is righteous and godly that that's how we ought to pursue provision uh, Proverbs 10:4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And, and diligence that leads to wealth is commended by the Bible, not so that you can be selfish and and store up all your treasures on earth and not and, you know be some sort of a um, uh, you know money is is the end all of everything, um, but but to do what what Ephesians says that you know you work hard, you gain money to provide for yourself and to help those in need. And, and that's, that's a wonderfully godly pursuit. And fourthly, to be a good steward of what God entrusts to us. Uh, that may be work. You know, when, when your boss says, I want you to do these tasks, the Bible says you need to think about those tasks that your boss gives you as if Jesus himself asked you to do it. Right? Do your work heartily as for the Lord. Right? Um, for it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Colossians chapter 3 tells us we'll look at that verse later on so be a good steward of that be a good steward of what's entrusted to you um proverbs 27 23 know well the condition of your flocks pay attention to your herds riches are not forever nor does a crown endure to all generations when the grass disappears the new growth is seen and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in so just the idea we need to pay attention to our responsibilities and uh, you know life is definitely more complicated today than it was in previous generations so we have a lot to stay on top of in terms of stewardship. Okay, so that's kind of where we've been. And uh, we're going to conclude this part of our study on work 
and a work ethic by talking about work and warnings today. So let's do that. Uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16. And uh, let's look at this together. Interesting, interesting little verse. Did you start that? Because I forgot. Thank you. And I'm learn, learning ha- new habits too. So, uh, You know, we can do this in here. Would someone stand and read nice and loud Proverbs 16.3? We're in a smaller room here where we can get away with this. So, Would someone read Proverbs 16.3 nice and loud, please? Thank you. Um, and we see you see on the screen there the the, um, the parallel, Psalm thirty seven three. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. That little word commit. And and uh, if you it, just look at your English Bible, is there a little um, a little letter or number next to that word commit in your Bible? Okay. Do you know what to do with that? If you have a little number or letter somewhere, either on the margin of your Bible, or sometimes it's in the center of the column, you find that little letter or number. It's a little one or a little two or a little a or a little b, and it has a little note next to it. So one of you find that and tell me what it says. Do you see roll? And this is good because we have Bibles that are amazingly robust today. And if you have a little note there, it's helping you. The people that put your English Bible together are helping you to know something of the original language underneath the English. Yeah, you'll see a little note there and it says roll. And you go, roll your works to the Lord? I mean, are we bailing hay or what are we doing here, right? We... And like a lot of things, one of the things I love, one of the reasons I love, especially the Old Testament, written largely in the Hebrew language, is the Hebrews... Um, they, they have a very visual language. They, they like to describe things in ways that stop and make you think. For, for example, one of my favorite Hebrewisms is um, when, uh, when the Bible writers tell us that God has a long nose. We go, God has a long nose. That's kind of weird. And some of you have heard, heard this before because I love it as an example and I use it a lot. But when the Hebrews talked about a person having a long nose, what they were saying was it takes a long time for some hard situation to emotionally impact that person in a negative way. Because when you and I get angry, you see it on your face, don't you? Anger is seen easily on a person's face. So by saying a person has a long nose, what they're saying is it takes a really long time for this person to get angry. It doesn't show up on their face right away. And that's, that's the Hebrew way of saying a person is patient. It's the word for patience, or the, the, one of the ways you describe patience. So this one, I love this. Roll your works to God. And I wrote it down here just, just so you could uh, remember it. What that means is, it, it, the, the idea is we're rolling one's trouble upon somebody else. We're saying, you take care of it. I don't want this. You take care of it. And sometimes we actually do that, right? I don't want to do this job. You do it. You're on your own. And we can see that when there's something negative or hard, and certainly that applies to work. Sometimes work is really hard, isn't it? 
You know, you got a boss, you got a coworker, you got a professor at school, you got a coach, um, and you're like, Lord, I can't deal with this. So what do you do? You roll it over to Him, and you say, Lord, you take care of this. It kind of sounds like cast all your anxiety on Him, for He cares for you. You've heard that before, right? Um, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in by with do what it's kind of the same thing isn't it you're taking the burden and you're giving it to him come to me you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest right and he goes take my yoke upon so so it, you, we can see it as a negative but but what if it's what if it's a positive what if it's just you know i like my work i, I like my school i like playing sports roll your works to the lord means what we can, we can see it as a negative, but what, what does it mean to, to roll your works, so to speak, to the Lord? Okay, give Him glory. Uh-huh. Praise. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and you see, um, and that's why I put Psalm 37.3, because there's a parallel. And, and the parallelism, meaning when the Bible says the same thing two different ways, which you see in the Psalms and Proverbs quite a bit, that helps us with interpretation. Commit your way to the Lord. That's the same word. Roll your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. So, so rolling in a positive way is saying, will you trust me with your work? Will you commit it to me? Dedicate it to me? And, and, and we see this uh, in the Colossians verse that I alluded to a moment ago. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So when we think about work being successful, work is not successful when you break the sales record for the year, or when you get a promotion, or when your boss says, good job, and, and there's going to be a nice bonus check for you at the end of the year, or no, work is successful when it is committed to the Lord and we entrust it to Him. Now that's kind of weird because you know we want to do a good job, we want to see the company grow or whatever work we're engaged in, but, but that's not where success starts, right? Success starts how? According to, the, to these verses we've looked at. Let's, let's sum it up here. What is success? Yeah, commit first and trust. And do it for, for his glory, for him. Think about, think about Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah for a minute. He preaches for 40 years. Faithful to the Lord. Right? And uh, tell me about the success of his ministry. Nothing to show for it. I'm, I mean, literally no converts. No one ever came to Jeremiah and said... I repent. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm turning away from idolatry. I hear you. Okay? And, and you can read his story, and, and there was very little what we would think of as success. So was he, was he a failure as a prophet? No, because he got up every morning, he committed his work to the Lord, he, went, he walked into the public square, and he preached the word of God that was given to him by the Lord himself. And God even told him, remember at the beginning of his ministry, um, and other prophets too, I'm sending you to a people and they're not going to listen. But I want you to go. So we, 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 we need in our 
American minds that prize success and results and promotions and sales and things we can see that verify that we've been successful. Those are not bad things in and of themselves, but they're secondary if you're a Christian. Because success here is, are you bringing Jesus into your vocation? Are you committing your work to Him? Are you doing your work for Him? Are you trusting Him? Are you bringing in your faith in terms of how you do your work? And at the end of the day, success is measured by your trust and faithfulness Not by the title on your business card and not by the size of your paycheck. And that's encouraging. Matthew 6.33 Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I bet we could go around the room and you could all tell me how God redirected your steps somewhere in your life. Work, family, ministry. And you thought, this is is God's plan. It was like, oh. And, And that's where we can be really, really, really discouraged, can't we? Read the first half of of Lamentations 3 and see how low in depression and anxiety Mr. Jeremiah got as he lost sight of some of these things and started looking at the numbers thinking, not only am I a failure, but God's against me, he says. Um, So let's be careful and let's strive... Uh, to recognize that success in Scripture is faithfulness as we commit our work to the Lord and and trust also in Him. Okay? Um, That whole section in Psalm 37 is really good. If you haven't read it, we won't do it right now, but that's something maybe to look up later on. Okay, number two. Workaholism is just as sinful as laziness. You know, some of you type A's have been loving the sluggard study. You know, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Um, and, and this is, I'm, I'm sort of vocational, uh, how would you say it? I feel like I'm more bipolar. I, I struggle with laziness and I struggle with workaholism. And on any, any given day, I'm pinging from one side of the guardrail to the other, trying to find the center line. Uh, so you pray for me. Um, workaholism is just as sinful as laziness. So let's talk about this. What is workaholism? It's the practice of devoting an inordinate amount of time and attention to one's vocation, or it could be another task, such that other God-given responsibilities and commands are minimized or neglected. That's workaholism. Spending an inordinate amount of time and attention on one's vocation or some other task or some other thing in your life such that other God-given responsibilities and commands are minimized and neglected. What do you think about that? It's the American way. I mean, it's like a baseball and rock and roll and whatever else you want to call American there. So, and I know, and I don't, I don't want to step on toes because some of some of you have talked to me about this, and I've been appreciative for the feedback. Um, It's challenging today to even find uh, vocations that don't create an environment where this is hard to avoid. Right? Associate pastor. (laughs) Associate pastor. 
Well, and I meant what I said, you know, just because you're in ministry doesn't mean you're exempt from this. Uh, and I, I struggle with this just like the rest of you guys do. Um, so I recognize that this is hard. And I recognize that you may even be tied into a career and a job and you don't have a choice. You, you got to put food on the table and you can't just snap your fingers and say, well, you know, I'd love to go, you know, get rid of my 80 hour work week, but I can't. Um, so, so don't hear this as criticism. Hear this as uh, maybe something to, to reset and think about and pray about. But, but yeah, workaholism is a real problem. You know, it's funny, you know, we, in our culture, it's like, you know, the standards in some realms are so much lower than they used to be. But in especially corporate America, you know, what is, well, let me ask you this. How many of you remember when the, when the corporation cared about your family? Okay. Now keep your hands up. Okay. All right. So everybody else look around the room. Okay. And you see that, um, uh, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say seasoned saints or something like that a little, but, uh, but it's true. Senior age. Yes. Yes. Right. Now remember Proverbs commends gray hair. So, you know, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, you see that you're, you're not going to see that today. You know, the corporation is a largely a threat to your family, to your health, to your well-being, and probably anything else in your life. And there are some exceptions. There are some great companies uh, out there that, that uh, care about other things other than the, the productivity. Uh, but um, Now think about this. How does the Bible intersect work? Now, now notice, Proverbs doesn't address workaholism in that, in that, um, with that term. That, that's a modern term. But the concept is definitely there. You say, how is the concept there? Because the Bible calls us, Proverbs in particular, the Bible in general, to be faithful in all of our God-given responsibilities. We don't get to pick which responsibilities God wants us to do and which ones we can neglect. He says, be a faithful steward. And, and that's, we'll maybe develop this another time, but um, the theme of stewardship in the Bible, that's what stewardship is about. Stewardship is about managing the God-given responsibilities that you've been given in a way that's pleasing to him. It's stewardship. And we must be faithful in all of our God-given responsibilities. Now think about that. It can be as simple as personal devotion or family or corporate worship or loving neighbor or evangelism or thinking about your health and rest. You know, any of those can get out of balance to work. And, And again, if you're the type of person that and you know this, I'm not trying to pick on you. If you're the type of person that can get so involved in your work that you would say, you know what, I struggle with some balance here. Then this is really important to think about is to zoom out and say, in fact, I have in my little, my little prayer book here, um, I have a couple of pages for stuff that I need to be praying about and thinking about for myself all the time. And, and one of them is called roles. It's right here. And it talks about, for me personally, my areas of responsibility. And here's why. I love most of what I do. I really do. There's very little that in my life right now that I just say, oh, wow, I really just have to kind of gut it out. I love what I do in, in ministry, in family, in, in chaplaincy, in teaching, in, in yard work. You know, what? It's, it's, it's great. 
And, and my problem, and, and this is just my problem, is I can get so focused on one or two of those areas, I forget, hey, God calls me to be a steward over here and over here and over here. And here. So that little thing, when I read it every day, when I pray in my time with God, reminds me, hey, Keith, you need to reset that here's the big picture. And I'll tell you, there, there is not a week in my life that I don't look at that and I say, this week I need to bring that back into balance. So, so maybe that's a, a practical way that we can, we can think about trying to keep some of this stuff in balance. Like I said, you pray for me in that, um, and I really do appreciate that. We must not, here's another reason uh, sometimes we have trouble with workaholism. We must not assume responsibilities that God has not explicitly commanded when they cause neglect or inordinate imbalance in other God-given responsibilities. So this is the, you need to learn to say no point. We, you know why we're too busy sometimes? Because we have assumed responsibilities that God hasn't given us. Or we're spending a lot of our time in things that God doesn't really care about. Not as much as others. And so part of resetting and thinking about this is saying, what duties and responsibilities, you know, you look at your day planner, whether it's, you know, Google Calendar on your phone or if you're old school with a, you know, handout thing or however you do it. And say, looking at that, what area, what, what am I spending my time on that God says this is a duty? I mean, if you're married, you need to be spending time with your spouse, right? If you have kids, you need to be spending time with your kids. Um, we're believers, right? We're called by God to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What starts with corporate worship, we worship God, we use our gifts to equip one another, and then we go out and we share the gospel, right? Those are the non-negotiables of what it means to be a believer. And then you look at your calendar and you say, okay, how am I doing in those things? Well, there's an area where I'm not doing that. But I'm doing great in the community uh, uh, basketball league. And you go, well, where's the chapter and verse on the community basketball league? Let's look here. And, and, and you can say, you know what, but I'm in that basketball league because God says to love my neighbor and evangelize lost. Okay. Well, now it's there. See, it, it's a means to that end. But we, we, we've got to have this, this constant analysis where we say, how's the balance of things going? And if we're saying, yes, 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 we can't do it all. And a lot of those things have a, they may have value, but they may not have the, the specific God-given responsibility that other areas of our life ought to have. So, so think about some areas with me. Hobbies, sports, entertainment, children's activities. I mean, if you're a parent, think of how many things compete for your child's time, whether it's sports or school activities, um, extracurricular stuff. You know, one of the things, and I would love your feedback on this, seriously, because I sit around the room with the elders and we think about this and we pray about this. One of the things we try to do at Grace Bible Church is to not do so much at the church, so many church stuff things that you don't have time to be with your family, that you don't have time to love your neighbor, that you don't have time to evangelize in your spheres of influence. And I would love for you, I, I, would, I would ask for you um, to come to the elders, to me, to whoever. And, and if you think there's an area where we've gotten that out of balance, please come, because that's the last thing we want to do. And we do think about that and pray for that and use that in the decisions that we make. Okay? We, we don't, we don't want to be in this building most of the time of the week. We need to be in the building. 
Sometimes the week. But then we scatter to do all this other stuff. Okay, so I'd, I'd love to hear your feedback on that. Um, so please, please do that. Okay, now Proverbs, this is interesting. Proverbs gives explicit counsel to different kinds of people at different stages of life. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10 and let's look at this. Proverbs chapter 10, the first, and it's kind of like there's something for everybody here, okay? Remember I told you there's these characters that the the Proverbs introduce. The first person, uh, well, one of the first uh, persons that uh, the Proverbs introduce is the young person, sometimes known as the naive or sometimes just simply called my son. It's a young person. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. So what does Proverbs say to the young person in regard to a work ethic? What's the theme? Here's the theme. Learn to be a God-honoring worker now when you are young. Now, now talk to your mom and dad, guys, and ask them how hard habits are to break when you're old. Um, And we know because we all had to change our morning Sunday routine this morning. Learn it when you're young, man. I mean, there, there's you guys have brains that just soak up and remember everything, and and uh, you know you're always correcting your parents because we're forgetting everything, and you know um, use that brain that God has given you, use that energy that you have to build and learn a biblical work ethic now, and by God's grace that will serve you for the rest of your life. And I think as parents, uh, man, that chart we had up here a moment ago. Parenting, in terms of a work ethic, is an uphill battle when it comes to creating that biblical work ethic in the culture. So uh, parents, let's pray for each other. Grandparents, I know many of you are coming alongside your, your sons and daughters uh, and their spouses and families and trying to help with that. You know, we, frankly, those of you that put your hand up a moment ago, we need your generation. Can I, can I say, representing my generation, we need your generation to speak into our generation and say, I know you don't see this, but here's a way you might be inhibiting your kids. And I love you, but have you thought about this? We need that because my generation doesn't see what older generations see more clearly because there was a different time and a different culture and a different work ethic. So please, speak into the younger generations. That's Titus 2, right? The, the older generations are supposed to be training into the younger And uh, so please do that. Please pull us aside and help us with that. Number two, the second uh, person that Proverbs identifies at a different stage of life in terms of a work ethic is the lazy fool. And we've talked about him, so we'll just wave our hands at him. But Proverbs chapter 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Repent. Don't be a sluggard anymore. Learn. Grow. Change. And and if, if you've identified in any way, shape, or form with the lazy person or the slugger in the book of Proverbs, that is an occasion for repentance and growth. Here's another area, and, and this, this relates to, to many in the room and, and some of you that uh, remember these days. The Proverbs actually singles out 
the homemaker mom. You say, well, that's kind of weird. No, actually, it's really cool. Why do homemaker moms need to think about their work ethic? Because their whole day is self-structured. Right? If, if you've got an 8 to 5 job, boss tells you when to get there, he tells you what to do, tells you how to do it. You know, as you gain competence, you know, they, maybe they give you some freedom on that, right? You're not you're not just, you know, following directions, you're moving into management, you're making responsibilities, you're uh, handling a team, you're making calls on your own. That's great. But there's structure, right? There, there's an imposed structure that you don't have a lot of control of. And I've found, uh, especially as I think about our counseling ministry and, and uh, interacting with people, most people thrive more with structure in their life than having little to no structure. And I don't know what kind of person... Maybe you're one of those people that's just self-motivated and you balance everything and you, you could run the world. And, and I'm sure we have some people like that here. You know, praise the Lord for you. Most of us do better with external structure. And actually, uh, this is another mini-series sometimes, when we study the Bible, God does something. God purposely imposes structures on our life, and those structures are part of his plan for human flourishing. Because he knows most of us do better with that structure. That's why we have a government. That's why we have a family. That's why we have uh, leadership. That's why we have employers. It, you know, In all realms of life, we have this structure. So think about the homemaker mom, and I would say by extension, this really applies to anybody like a pastor or an entrepreneur who have a lot of freedom in terms of how they create and manage their schedule. Self-discipline is essential because her whole day is self-structured. Neglect leads to a home in shambles. Remember this? I walked by uh, the house of the sluggard. This, is, this, this verse is really an extension of the sluggard uh, study. 2430, I walked by in the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And that is more likely to happen where you have a lot of freedom. In your schedule, I, I suppose it, you know the converse could happen too. If if you're involved in a career where you just have, don't have time to breathe, obviously that could happen too. But we're thinking about it uniquely in terms of people that have a lot of freedom; they're self-structuring, and yet diligence, according to the Bible, leads to the blessing of husband and children and the smile of the Lord. And, and we'll get to this when we get toward the end of the book. You guys know the the P31. You know what P31 is. Proverbs 31, girl. 31.28, her children. And, and this, this, of course, Proverbs 31 is an example of a mom and a wife that by God's grace is doing well in that environment. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she, she will be praised. So the blessing of children, the blessing of husband, the blessing and smile of God. So if, if you're in an environment, whether it's a stay-at-home mom or whatever, where you have a lot of freedom in your schedule and you're having to self-structure, uh, Proverbs gives us a lot of help on that to think about. How about this? 
As a creation ordinance, work should not end when one no longer financially requires a paycheck, otherwise known as retirement. Now, you talk about the American dream, right? It's build your career, retire as early as possible, and spend the rest of your life collecting shells on the shores of Florida. Right? Can I just say, we, a lot of you in this room are retired. And can I, can I just tell you, you don't know how it blesses my heart, both as a dad and a man, and certainly as one of the pastors here, that I don't know anybody in our church that are wasting their retirement years. Praise the Lord for that. I mean, you guys are involved, you're ministering, you're serving, you're giving, you're, you're, you're evangelizing, you're, you're supporting missionaries. You're, can I just thank you for that? that that's, that's such a blessing, such a blessing, and it's so rare. Um, you know, it's neat because uh, my kids are growing up watching you guys. And there's not a price a parent can put on that. But work, according to Genesis 1.26, 2.15, is a creation ordinance. You know what that means? Work's not a part of the curse. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I might ruin your lifetime in saying this, but I'm going to say it. You're going to work in heaven. And you're going to love every minute of it. Just like Adam did as he walked with God. I don't know what that work will look like. You know, I don't know if it's like, you know, you get any Lego set in the world and you build it forever and they just keep coming. It's like you build one. Oh, here's another one, you know, and I don't know if it's like playing ball all day, you know, and, you know, the season never ends and you never get hurt and, you know, you always complete passes and I, I don't know what it's like, but we're going to work and we're going to love it and Jesus is going to love it and it'll be, it'll be integrated into the overall point of enjoying our God forever as we praise him. The curse has, has soured our view of work. And of course, work is affected by that, according to Genesis 3. Work is harder, work is laborsome, work doesn't go well um, because of the curse. But work in and of itself is not bad. But notice this, when you get to retirement, look at this. The focus of work changes and the balance of ministry changes. Okay, Now, now, now talk to me about this if you're retired, because I'm, I'm not there yet. But think about this, when you retire... You can change the focus of your work, right? You know, maybe you were spending 50, 60 hours at the office and you didn't have as much time for family, ministry, grandchildren, missions, charity, evangelism, other pursuits, but now you do. And you can say, you know what? I don't have to go in 8 to 5 or, you know, 6 to 7 or whatever your hours are. Five days a week, six days a week, whatever your schedule is. I can focus more on my grandchildren. I can focus more on that ministry at church. I can go on that mission trip. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's awesome. You know, our church, as an engine of ministry, would come to a halt without the retired people that we have here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you again for that. And notice also the balance of ministry changes. You now have more time for other pursuits. Things like hobbies, relationships, and rest. And can I just say, a hobby is not dishonoring to the Lord. If you, what do we learn? Commit it to the Lord, trust Him, and use it for His glory. You know, I was thinking about this. All of you have a hobby of some sort. Well, let's say it's golf. And um, golf is awesome. 
And uh, what is golf? It's a sport that you do typically with other people. And you spend a lot of time. There's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of driving the cart. There's a lot of walking to the green and walking back. And, and you could love golf and play golf and use it for spiritual treasure, couldn't you? By thinking about who you take with you. You could always take your church friends. And there could be wonderful edification that goes there, brother to brother, sister to sister, however it works. You could take your unbelieving neighbor. You know, you, you could go after that guy that you know needs Jesus. Or that person down the street whose spouse just died. Or you know, whatever it is. And that's why you can take any hobby and make it something that glorifies God and accomplishes spiritual goals, if you want to. And, uh, and that's, I think, one of the privileges of retirement is being able to do that. Or rest. You, know, you get old, you need more rest. You know, let's just be honest. And that's, that's good. It's good. Rest is good. As John Piper would say, don't waste your retirement. Last thing. All things done for the glory of God and with a focus on spiritual treasure are worthy pursuits. Okay? So whatever season of life you're in, if you're just, you're just trying to you know, get the diaper changed and get food on the table and get the kids off to school, I mean, if that's where you're at, or, or if you wake up in the morning whenever you want to, right? And you don't even have a Google Calendar because you don't need one. You know, if that's you, praise the Lord for that. Use that time for God's glory and for the accomplishment of spiritual treasure. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Jesus said, do not store, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for time in your word and, and uh, thank you for the privilege of work. Um, you're the, the king of kings and lord of yours. You're the creator of the universe and the Bible tells us that you do things. Uh, and as creatures made in your image, you made us to do things too. And whatever season of life we're in, would you help us? If we're young, help us to learn godly work, work ethics and, and to be a light for the gospel through how we work. If we're in that middle age of kids and soccer games and paying bills and mortgages and mowing lawns and all that, would you help us to do our work with joy in our hearts for your glory and give us wisdom on the balance of that. Help us to say no to things that aren't essential or don't really matter. And Lord, if we're in that season of retirement, Lord, thank you for the example that our people have set of, of retirements that are mainly about storing up spiritual treasure. Thank you for that testimony and that example and might our people that are in that stage uh, just excel still more. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, Give us wisdom in these things and give us grace that our work might be a reflection of our faith and might bring you glory in Christ's name. Amen.